If you have your Bible, if you would open it, please, to 1 Kings chapter number 17. We have been studying, and we are studying, the life of Elijah on Wednesday nights. And in a few weeks, we'll get to the prophet Elisha. But we're starting tonight with, uh, in the last few weeks, on the prophet Elijah. And we've seen from him so far that he is a man who lived his life by a simple principle. First of all, whatever God told him to do, that's what he did. And wherever God told him to go, that's where he went. So he lived by a very simple principle. And we have seen Elijah at the brook. You remember on the first sermon, God told Elijah to go to the brook Cherith. And he went there, and there was water, of course, in that brook. And God sent the ravens to feed him with with bread and with meat. And he was there for a good while. And then there came a point where the brook dried up. And when that brook dried up, he waited. He didn't get hasty. Remember last Wednesday night, we talked about what to do when the brook dries up. And we learned from Elijah, you stay where you are until God tells you to go somewhere else. And so he stayed at that dried up brook until God told him to go somewhere else. And God told him to go to a place called Zarephath. It was Gentile country. It was kind of the headquarters of Baal worship. And God said to Elijah, Elijah, I want you to go there to a place called Zarephath. There is a widow there. And I have commanded her to feed you. In other words, up until this point, the ravens have been feeding you. But now I'm going to feed you a different way. As we saw last week, the channels of God's blessing often change. But the source never changes. God himself is the source. And so he said, you go there. And so God sent Elijah to Zarephath for two reasons. Number one, so that a widow could be a blessing to him. And number two, so that he could be a blessing to this widow. And so that's where we pick up tonight. Now, how many of you, well, let me not even ask it that way. Let me do it a different way. I'm going to quote a song from a television show that came out decades ago. I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm in a good mood tonight, but not that good a mood, okay? I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to quote it. And I want to see how long it takes you to know what television show this is because it's, uh, I think it's a good tie-in to what we're going to be thinking about tonight. So here's how the theme song goes. Come and listen to a story about a man named, it's the Beverly Hillbillies, a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer who barely kept his family. Then one day he was shooting at some food and up from the ground came a bubbling crude oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. You know the, you know the song and the story, the Beverly Hillbillies. And then the next part says, uh, well, what does the next part say? Uh, well, the next thing, thank you, Pam. Well, the next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. Said California is a place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly. Swimming pools and movie stars. And so that's the story of the Beverly Hillbillies. And that's how that whole story was built. Here's a poor family living out I believe in the Ozarks is where they were living at that time and didn't have much. And he's out squirrel hunting or possum hunting or some kind of hunting. And he missed his target and hit the ground. And when he did, oil came up. And overnight, instantly, actually, they became millionaires. Oh, Jed Clampett struck oil. Now, tonight, in this story that we're going to read, we're going to read about a widow who struck oil. And she had To me, a more remarkable story than the Clampets did. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, and by the way, I want you to say this before I go any further tonight. You notice I'm preaching with tennis shoes tonight. You like this? I want to say why I'm doing this. 
I did not have surgery today on my foot, but I did have a procedure on my foot. I'm not wearing these shoes to look cool, <laughs> although I think I look quite cool in these shoes. I'm wearing these shoes tonight to be comfortable, okay? So it's Wednesday night. I probably wouldn't say that on Sunday, but I want to put it out there tonight. I don't want anybody out there thinking, oh, John, trying to look cool. No, John trying to preach his sermon standing up. That's what I'm trying to do tonight, but I wanted to get that off my chest. So 1 Kings chapter 17, and now having said that, I'm free and loose, and we could be here all night and have this, have this sermon. But let's read about this lady who struck oil. In 1 Kings chapter 17, let's go back to verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. His there now has changed. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose. Here's this man, Elijah. Whatever God tells him to do, that's what he's doing. And he went to Zarephath. Wherever God tells him to go, that's where he's going. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said to him, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This lady had no money, no food. She's trying to go out and gather a little food for her and her son, and this was going to be their final meal. And they were going to eat that in her mind, and then they were going to die. Now, look in verse 13, because Elijah's response to that is not what you would expect a man of God to say. If you said to to, to, to a pastor or to a preacher or to a minister or to a chaplain what this lady had said, you know, you would expect that person to say back to you, well, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Tell me what has happened. How can I help you? what can I do? This is a heartbreaking story. But in verse 13, Elijah said something quite opposite of that. He said, he did say, do not fear. So that was good. But notice what he says, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, you may make something for yourself and for your son. Elijah says, before you have your last meal and then die, make me a pound cake and bring it to me. Now, you would just think, now, you read that, if, if you're just reading this and you think, man, Elijah, you, you might be tempted to, to not like Elijah very much or to think, How, what a selfish man he is. But remember, Elijah was a prophet of God, and everything he did was what God had told him to do, and everything he said was what God had told him to say, and God had already said to Elijah, go to Zarephath, I have commanded a widow to feed you there. And so undoubtedly, God had moved in Elijah's heart, if not spoken to him audibly, and said, Elijah, when you get there and you see this widow, you ask her to give you something to eat even before she eats for herself. So here, Elijah's not being selfish, although it sounds selfish. Elijah is being obedient. Elijah was not so worried about what this lady might think of his request as he was concerned with what God had told him to do. 
And so his obedience was the main thing in his life. And then in verse 14, he explains more fully why he says this to her. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Elijah was saying to this lady, if you do what I'm asking you to do, God's going to take care of you. God is going to do something supernatural in this situation. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up. Nor did the jar of oil uh, run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. And so here's this lady about to, about to die. And, uh, and then this is what happens. She meets Elijah. Elijah said, make me some cake. He made her some cake. And when he did that, there's this supernatural provision. There's this, uh, the flower, the, the little flower that she had, it just, it just kept reproducing itself. It didn't run out. And the little oil that she had, it didn't run dry. It just kept reproducing itself. And this is a, this is a miracle. This is a, an incredible miracle that took place. And that's why I said at the beginning, this lady struck oil. Literally, she struck oil. She struck the types of oil that you cook with and was able to live, she and her son, and provide for Elijah. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, as I think about this story, I think about your life and my life. And I think about the fact that sometimes in life, we feel like the pantry has dried up spiritually. We feel like the oil has run dry and the flour is gone. And we read these verses in the Bible about abundance and overflowing with blessings and our cup overflowing. And we're thinking, my cup's not overflowing. My cup's empty. My kitchen is dry. And uh, we read this tonight and we see that God has a process that he uses to help us strike oil. Notice the title of the message tonight, How to Strike Oil and Have Everything You Need. You see, if you're a child of God, God has promised to certainly give you everything you need, but the truth is God has promised to even give us more than we need, to give us so much that our cup would run over. What does he say, for example, in Luke chapter 6? He said, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, uh, shall be given to you. And uh, it's the, the picture here is you won't even be able to receive all the blessings God. In the Old Testament, he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings that we can't even receive those things. And so there's a process, though, that God uses to take us from dryness to fullness, from emptiness to abundance, from death to life, from a place where we say, I think I have come to the end of my resources, to the end of my strength, to the end of my ability to move forward to a place where we say, my cup runs over, and I think I could run a hundred more miles on what God has given me, and not only in my heart, but what God's done for me in my life. And so I want to develop that tonight. I want us to think about the process that God uses to help us strike oil. And the first thing I would say, it's certainly true here, there's always a predicament of some kind first. There's a predicament. There's a problem. There's a situation that we can't fix. In the passage we just read, we, we see that this lady was a widow. She had no husband to help her. And not only was she a widow, but evidently she was a young widow because she had this son. She was going out and gathering food uh, or gathering some sticks so she could use those sticks to cook the flour and use the oil that was in the house. But if the son was of any age at all, he would have been out there in the field with his mother. 
helping pick up sticks. So he's, a, he's, he's most likely a very young son, which says she is a very young widow. She had no money. She had no money whatsoever. And to make matters worse, she was living in a drought, and the drought had led to a famine. So even if she had a lot of money, she couldn't have done much with it because there was a famine in the land, and there was no food to eat. And so this lady is in a predicament. And again, I can't stress strongly enough that she had no husband to help her. She was alone. She was by herself. It was just her. And she is trying not only to provide for herself, but the pressure she felt to provide for that boy, to provide for her son, and to be the best mom that she could be. I have said before, I'll say it again tonight, of all the groups of people that I respect, and I have tremendous amounts of respect for lots of different groups of people within the church. Perhaps the group that I respect most are the single parents and uh, the single dads and the single moms who are doing the best they can to raise their kids and to bring them to church and to provide for them. And it's a challenge because they're having to, to do by themselves, whether they have never been married, whether they've been through a divorce, whether their spouse died, however they became a single parent. Uh, they're having to do by themselves what they had hoped to do with a partner. And they don't have that partner. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for those parents who are so committed to the Lord and to their children. And this lady, now I'm not sure about her relationship with the Lord at this point, but she was committed to her son, and she was doing all that she could to be a good mom. And let me just take that one step further tonight and say to the single parents who might be in here tonight or who might be listening at home, Certainly there is a sense in which you are alone in raising that child or in raising those children. But let me, say, let me just remind you what you already know, and you don't even need me to say this, but let me say it anyway. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, you are not raising that child alone. God is there with you, and God is helping you. But you have a very special place in the heart of God. Just like God has promised to, uh, to meet all the needs of the widows. He's promised to be the father to the fatherless. And for those who are really facing challenges that they didn't want to face or had never planned on facing, I'm saying to you tonight, you, have, you occupy in the heart and mind of God a very special place. And he will go to extreme measures. You know, what's the old saying? Drastic times call for drastic measures. And when God looks down and sees somebody being faithful and doing the best they can in their life circumstances, that gets his attention. And God will step in in supernatural ways. In this lady's case, do you think about, you talk about a lady who's in a predicament, but think about how honored and blessed she was. God knew what she was going through, and God was so touched by her circumstances that he commanded the great prophet Elijah to leave that brook. And to go to Zarephath, to leave Israel, to go to Gentile country, and to go to a pagan place where they're worshiping Baal so that he could have this encounter with this widow. And it says to me that those in a situation similar to hers have a very special place in the heart and mind of God. And he, God, is committed to sending you his best and maybe even doing extra for you, and probably would do extra for you because of what you're going through. But there's always but this process that God uses to help us strike oil and meet all of our needs so that our cup runs over spiritually and in other ways. It always begins with a predicament of some kind. So tonight, just so far in this sermon, 
If you say, well, John, this is good. I'm in a predicament. Maybe not just like this lady was in, but I've, I've got a problem I can't solve. I've got a predicament. I've got a famine in the land. Well, you know what? On the one hand, that's discouraging, but on the other hand, that's encouraging because if you're in this boat, that means Elijah is sailing your way. I mean, that means God's grace and provision is coming towards you in a supernatural way. But let's move on. What is the process? Yeah, there's a problem, there's a predicament, but what is the process? The next thing is there's a command to obey, and there's a promise to claim. You see, when when a person gets in 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 a tough spot like this, God will always tell you what to do, and that's what he did for the lady. Now, let's look again in verse 13. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. In other words, make that, make that snack, make that meal for you and your son, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. And so the command was to make Elijah something to eat. Now, just to reinforce this, this command did not just come from Elijah. If it had just come from Elijah... In this instance, that would have been enough because Elijah was the mouthpiece for God. He was the man of God, the prophet of God. But to make it abundantly clear that Elijah was not selfish, go back in verse 9 again. I want you just to see this. When God said to Elijah, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And so this lady had been told, Twice, once by God and second by Elijah, what to do? Make this man something to eat. So that was, in her case, that was the command. But the command, the second part of this command, and what really was the heart of this command was for her to put God first. Notice again in verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small, now watch this, make me a small cake from it first. First, don't I have that word underlined in my Bible? First, what is what is Elijah saying? Elijah saying, "Ma'am, you have needs. You your your household has needs. You and your son need food. But here's the command: before you take care of your own needs, you bring me some food first." She understood this even better than we do. She understood that God had sent this man to her. And so she understood, at least to some extent, that he was just speaking to her the word of God. But the application for us today is, when we're in a predicament, we need to continue to put God first. You know, sometimes a person gets, and it's understandable to me, sometimes a person gets in a predicament and they say, I can't put God first yet. I will put God first eventually. But I can't put God first yet. I can't give God the first 10% of my income if, if, if I can't even pay my own bills with 100% of my income. So, I mean, I've had people, and I, I understand that. I mean, like, mathematically, I understand that. I get it. What they're saying is, if I can't pay my bills on 100% of the income, the take, you know, there's no way that I could pay my bills on 90% of the income. And my response to that, and God's Word's response to that is, yes, you can. Because if you're trying to do it on 100% of your income, it's 100% of you by yourself. 
But if you try to do it with 90% of your income, it's 90% of your income plus God. And so it won't add up, and it doesn't make sense. And you say, and if you're visiting tonight, and you say, well, you're just saying that because you're trying to get money for the church. Let me tell you something. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to help you. Give the money to some other church. If this is not where you go, now you ought to tithe wherever you go to church. But if you just go to different churches and you don't, you know, you think that I have other motives, give it to the other church. It, it, it's about being obedient to God. It's not, it's not anything other than that. And what God says to us as his children is that we will be better off with 90% of the money and his blessing on our finances than we would be with 100% trying to do it by ourselves. And that was a wonderful place for an amen right there. That would have been a tremendous place for an amen. So let me just rewind it and try Let me just ride down that, plow down that, uh, that aisle again. God says that we will be better with 90% of the money and his blessings than we would be with 100% of the money on our own. Amen. It's, the, it's what God said to Mal- in Malachi. If you will bring me the tithe, I will open to you the windows of heaven. Now, I'm not even preaching about tithing tonight. I'm preaching about putting God first. But you can't hardly talk about putting God first without putting God first in your finances. See, what this lady, what this lady was asked to do, she was asked to give God what she had. She was not asked to give God what she didn't have. She wasn't asked to do that. Elijah said, take what you have and give me the first part of it. And God had said to her, take what you have and give Elijah the first part of it. And if you'll do that prior, that first part, if you'll give God the first part, God said, he's going to bless you on the back end. And so to the person who says, I can't pay my bills and do that. Well, I would encourage you to ask yourself, to, to, to use, I mean, because I get the math. But to ask yourself this question, is that really true or is that just true from a purely human perspective? See, I'll tell you what it comes down to at the end of the day is this. Do we believe what God said is true or not? And it's either true or it isn't true. And if it's true, we should all live like it is true. And uh, if it's not true, I don't even know what we're doing here anyway. Because I'm teaching out of a book that if you don't think it's true, why am I teaching from it? Why are you listening to it? I mean, but we do know it's true. But I would encourage you, whether it's your money, whether it's your time. You know, I notice this a lot with me and my time. There are a lot of days that, just like you, I'm no busier than anybody else. But there are a lot of days when I wake up and I think, now I've got a lot to do today. And just whatever my day is. And I say, well, that's true. I've got a lot to do today. And there's sometimes my Bible reading and prayer time gets put to the end of the day. That happens sometimes. Not normally, but sometimes it does. But I have noticed this. If I will make my Bible reading and my prayer time the priority of my day, when I get in bed at night, I say to myself and to God, I have, I have no idea how I, how I got as much done as I did today. This happened on Monday. I woke up Monday with a fair amount to do, and I said, God, the main thing I need to do today, I need to get a sermon outline. I need to get my sermon ready for the Tuesday Bible lunch because my dad skipped out on his yesterday and put all the work on me. And so uh, they had a doctor's appointment. But, I, but I, I said, I need to get that ready to go. And I worked on and And then I felt like, now, Lord, my day on Wednesday is so full 
that I'm not going to be able to give my Wednesday night sermon enough time on Wednesday. And it was just like God said, well, get on it now. Do it. In fact, I did the Wednesday sermon first, and then I did the Tuesday sermon last, Monday night. And I had this outline finished by five, four, 4 o'clock or so on, on Monday. Now, I know you're not a preacher in outlines and sermons. That's, that, that's not, I'm not speaking necessarily your language. That's not what you're doing. But that's a big part of my life. And I just thought, when I got in bed Monday night, I thought, God, I'm ready to preach tomorrow at lunch, and I'm ready to preach Wednesday night. And the only thing, only way I can figure it out is uh, I didn't skimp on the personal part. I gave God the first, the time, the first in the, the, the day, the most priority part of my life. And just like with this lady, the flour did not run out and the oil did not run dry. It just kept on coming and kept on coming and kept on coming. And so I read a story like this, and it speaks to me personally, and it says if you'll give God the first part, that's why, church, that's why coming to church on Sunday is so important. What are you doing? You're giving God the first day of the week. People, some people say, I don't have time to go to church. I invited some people to come to church a couple of weeks ago when Adam Crabb was here on Super Bowl Sunday, friend day. We were all supposed to do that, and I thought, well, I need to do it too. And I invited several people to come to church. And one of the men I invited, I sent him a text, and he's a nice man, and I think the world of him. I don't know anything about his relationship with God, but I like him personally. And I invited him to come to church, and he sent me a text back. And he said, my Sunday morning is already full, but thanks for thinking of me. Well, I don't know what he was doing. I mean, it's none of my business what he was doing. But I I wonder this. How many people, well, we know the answer to this. It's millions. It's the majority of Americans who wake up on Sunday and they don't come to church. Why? Because their Sunday is full. That's their day. Here's how most people live. They work Monday through Friday. On Saturday, they mow the yard, they run errands, they, they go to the dry cleaners, they, they do all those type things. They wash clothes. So they work five days a week. Saturday, they're working. They're just not getting paid to work, right? They're working for themselves. They're just doing their jobs at home. So Sunday is when they're going to rest. Say, so well, you got to have a day of rest. You do have to have a day of rest. But listen, you, you, and part of Sunday can be rest. But what the blessing, I'm not just, I'm, the blessing they're missing is, and, and they say, well, the reason I can't go to church on Sunday, I just can't get everything done. Well, the reason they can't get everything done is, one of the reasons they can't get everything done is, they haven't given God the first day. And if they'd give God the first day, they'd find that during the week they got things done more effectively and more efficiently and more quickly. And that's one of the reasons they're not getting everything done. And the second reason they may not be getting everything done is they're trying to do something God never intended them to do. And that happens to me sometime, too. Sometimes I get trying to do something, I get in the middle of the project, and it's just, I feel like, well, I just, God never told me to do this. I just dreamed this up. Or somebody asked me to do it, and I didn't pray about it. I just said yes. And now I'm in a pickle because I'm stressed out. And, uh, but the point is, whether it's our money, whether it's our time, whether it's Sunday, to put God first. I talked to a family one time. They're a sincere family. And uh, they said to me, John, we're going to start tithing. We haven't started tithing. But we know God is pro the family. Well, sure he is. And we need to do something as a family. And so we're going to take the money that we would have spent on a tithe, and we're going to Disney World because it will be good for our family. Now, folks, that's a dangerous thing to say. I'm all for the family, and I'm all for going to Disney World if that's where you want to go. But you don't go to Disney World with the tithe. You give the tithe to God in the church, and you go to Disney World 
on something else, right, on what's left over. But, but you see how a person could think that? Well, it happened. But the first, so the, the, the principle here, there's a command to obey, and there is a uh, promise to claim. And the promise was, if you'll provide this food, you'll have plenty of flour, and you'll have plenty of oil. Now, the next thing is, there's a supernatural provision to enjoy. We begin with a predicament, a problem, and then we have a command to obey and a promise to enjoy, and then there is a provision. And let's look at this in verse 15. Notice again, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. That's the provision. She put God first. She did what God told her to do, even though it didn't make sense. It was a step of faith. And God honored that, and there was a supernatural provision. Now, let's just see if we can remember the three main P words that we have covered so far. Let me say them. Predicament, promise, provision. Let's say that together. Predicament, promise, provision. Say it by yourselves. Now, with that promise, we, there's a command to obey something, and then a, I'm just going to combine those so we can just keep all the P, P words right there. A predicament and a promise and a provision. And God provided for her and for Elijah, and the, uh, the oil never did run dry. Now, in my outline tonight, if you could see, talk about the oil not running dry. In my outline tonight... You can't see it from there, but we are to right here. That's where we are. And what I have written in my outline, you almost wish the story ends here, but it doesn't. Because this lady, after she did what God told her to do, her son died. She went from a mountaintop to a valley. She had a predicament. She obeyed the command, trusted the promise. There was supernatural provision. You'd think it'd just say, and she lived happily ever after. And there were no more problems. That's not what it says. In fact, you can look at it in the, in the next verse, in chapter 17. And in verse 17, notice what it says. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Now what has she got all over again? She's got a predicament again. You know, sometimes we're in a mess, and God sees us through the mess and delivers us out of the mess supernaturally. And we think, man, now all my troubles are behind me. And before we turn around twice, we say, "Uh uh-oh, now I'm in it again. It's different. This was worse. This was the worst predicament, or at least as bad. Now she's lost her son. Her son has died. And what I was going to do tonight was to, and we'll do this next week, what I was going to do tonight is to show this same process, a predicament, a command to obey, and a promise to claim, and a provision, the same process that provided for their food ended up being used by God to bring this boy back to life. And we're going to get in that 
more next week. But tonight, I want to just stop it a little early for a couple reasons. For one, if I stop it early, finally I've paid my time debt back to the congregation. In fact, now you owe me time. And so this is a lovely place for me to be. But I don't want us to just rush through this thing about how Elijah was used by God to raise her son from death to life. I want us to be able to honor that passage. It's tremendous. In fact, and we'll see this next week, this, this, this widow's son who was raised to life again, this is the first person, the, the first account in all the Bible of anybody being raised from death to life. And it, it deserves more attention than I don't want to just rush through it here. And so tonight, I think I've said enough to make the point. If you are here tonight facing a problem in the middle of a predicament, here's what you need to do. You need to put God first and trust him with all of your heart and just keep doing what you know to do and to believe that out there somewhere, supernaturally, one way or the other, God will provide for you. Amen? So, Father, I thank you for Elijah. He has taught us so much already about just being obedient and and doing what you tell him to do. And I thank you for his life. God, I thank you for this widow who all she wanted to do was to be able to make something for herself and her son to eat before she died, before they died. And here comes the man of God saying, make me something first. As a symbolic gesture that even though you might not know God yet, that you are putting God first as best as you can. As we'll see next week, God used everything this lady went through to lead her to faith in him. And it may be tonight that one of the reasons, this is not always the case, but one of the reasons God has allowed you to face what you're facing is to bring you to himself, to bring you to faith in him. You say, but John, I'm already a believer. Well, it may be that one of the reasons God has allowed this is to bring you to a deeper faith in him. I'm not saying that's, that that's necessarily the reason because you're, you, there could be a lot of reasons for the problems we have. But I'll say this, whatever the reason for the problem that you're facing, one of the things that God wants to do from the problem and out of the problem is to bring you to a deeper faith in Jesus Christ. Ron Dunn, one of the godliest pastors and men of God who ever lived, he said this one time, anything that brings us closer to God is a good thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that the thing itself is good, but it becomes good for us in the hands of God if we'll trust him and if we'll obey him. And so tonight, with your head bowed and eyes closed, would you just say this to God? Would you say, Lord, in this predicament, I choose to trust you. I choose to put you first with my finances, with my time, on Sundays, and now look, you're here on Wednesday night. You're doing, you're doing even extra. 
God, I put you first. And God, I believe that one way or the other, you're going to provide for me. And you're going to meet my needs. And I'm going to strike oil out there one day. First of all, in my own spirit, God, just tell God this. God, I just thank you that even though I'm not there yet, I thank you you're going to bring me to a place of peace and joy and contentment and happiness. To, you're going to bring me all, I'm going to strike oil spiritually in a way that I've never experienced before. And I just thank you in advance. I believe it's going to happen. And Lord, as far as the other part of my life, you're going to meet, you're going to meet those needs too. You're going to give me what you know I need whenever it is I need it. So, Father, tonight we bow in your house and we thank you for being a good God and a wonderful Father who only has our best interest at heart. And so, God, help us to view our predicaments kind of like a blessing in disguise, knowing that you see what's happening and you promise to provide. Now, if you've never been saved, there were many who were saved on Sunday. Many students from Breaking Free, but quite a few other adults were saved. If you've never been saved, what you need more than anything is Jesus in your life. You and I would be foolish to try to live this life down here without God. Pray this prayer, Lord Jesus. Please come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.